Leaders come in all different shapes, sizes, and styles. There is not a one-size-fits-all solution to leadership. Our goal is to connect with those who are in the trenches each day, leading themselves and leading others, to learn about their unique style, and to provide our listeners with inspiration to lead. Welcome to the Lead with Empower podcast. Welcome listeners. I'm very excited for our our guest today, the head coach of University of New Haven women's soccer, Laura Duncan. Laura, how are you? Great. Um, Thanks a lot for having me, Dan. I really appreciate it. Finding, Finding ways to fill up my day right now. (laughs) <laughs> no, very, very excited to have you. And uh, I appreciate you taking some time out of what I'm sure is a very busy day to to do this with us. Laura, and before we get into your formal introduction, I, 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 I check in on you on the social media platforms. You have a very, very interesting and impressive skill set. And I wouldn't go as far, I wouldn't call it crafting because it's much more than that. You're, you're a builder. Oh, you know, coaching for this long, sometimes you need to find an additional outlet so that you don't go crazy once in a while when you can't understand why you don't win as many games as you'd like to. So for some reason, recently, I uh, took to the woodshop and and have had a lot of fun with it. And it's been a great outlet. Um, All fingers are still accounted for, thankfully, but uh, definitely improving each time I get a chance to get out there. What... um... One, I think it's awesome. I've seen firsthand, you know, some of the work that you've done, like wedding gifts and then backyard games. And um, from a guy who, uh, both my grandfathers were carpenters and I, the, it genetically didn't, didn't get passed down. Um, I, I, you know, and I, I still have my fingers because I stay away. Like seeing your work is honestly is impressive. What was the first project that you that you did in the in the wood shop in the Laura Duncan wood shop <laughs> um, believe it or not it was actually a bench um, most of our backyard is made up of wood wood style <laughs> um, and you know my husband was looking for a bench to fit in a certain part of the backyard and we just couldn't find anything the right size and the right shape for it to fit there um, and without paying, you know, stupid amount of money for it. So like you said, uh, you know, YouTube can be our best friends at times. So before you know it, I'm Googling and YouTubing how to make a $50 bench out of two by fours and spent half a day building it um, with bare minimum tools and bare knowledge. And um, it kind of, you know, I really enjoyed doing it. And before you know it, once you realize you can do that, you don't want to go buy anything and after that. It's like, oh, I can, I'll just make it. <laughs> so that's pretty much where it started from. That's awesome. And you, and I, your backyard is definitely, uh, I wouldn't say exotic, but it has a, a, you know, a lot of those things back there and it's a, it's a great setup. What, how long have you been doing that for? Um, probably I would say about three years ago, Okay, I, I built the bench. I would say about three summers ago. So, you know, that, that was, that was a while back and it was slower, but I would say the last year's got a lot heavier. Okay, I think more so because I've had the ability to do more projects and then reward myself with more tools. And yep. so jobs have become easier. Um, so it gives, you know, it's given me the ability to do a little bit more. And again, just, you know, there's a YouTube out there on everything you, you know, you could, you could learn to do if you wanted to. So the last couple of years, I've definitely gone into a bit more. That's great. That's great. What has been your most, um, like your favorite, or do you have, do you have like a favorite project or something that you've done multiple times that you truly enjoy making? 
are the, the probably the most popular item are the cornhole boards. Yeah. Um, you know, they are pretty simple, but every one of them is unique. And that's what I kind of enjoy about it is I have the ability to put any type of logo, any colors, any sayings. So no two boards are the same um, and they're very personalized to most of the people that have, you know, asked me to build them a set. So I do enjoy doing them. They're time consuming uh, without, a de- without a doubt, but they are, they're fun because like you said, no, no board's the same. And you started this, I'm going to quote unquote business. It's not a bit, it's a, it's a hobby and, and you, you help people out here. Um, and anybody that's kind of started something from scratch, as you say, you, you know, you started with maybe some two by fours, hammer and nail, and you've been able to do some projects to allow you to, to add to the tool repertoire and, and be more efficient in your work. Um, starting something from scratch and getting good at it, you have your victories in the journey and you have your defeats uh, during the journey. What's, what's one that sticks out to you that was like, oh, that came out awful or I got to restart this whole project. Did you have one of those moments along the way? Oh, without a doubt. Anything that has four legs because to try to get those four legs to match at the same height so that when that table's finished, it actually doesn't wobble. Oh, that, that one can get you a little bit because it's pretty much the last piece you get to. And then, you know, you finish it and you stand it upright. And now one of the three legs is shorter than the rest. And unfortunately, <laughs> you can't add wood to wood. So <laughs> that, that can be a little bit frustrating. But again, you, you figure out ways to not get yourself into that situation anymore. And figure out, how to cut, you know, four legs as square as you can. <laughs> For any, for any of the listeners that have any advice, you can, uh, you can hit me up with an email and I'll pass that info along to Laura to help her on her journey there. But no, it's awesome. It really is truly impressive and uh, uh, full envy of those skills because anything I've ever tried to do in the realm of carpentry and building is uh, not something I'd like you know show off. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've seen the, mo- the, the movie The, the Patriot, uh, Mel Gibson but there's a scene when he's trying to like build a rocking chair and he thinks he has it perfectly balanced and he goes to sit in it and it breaks and he just absolutely loses his mind. So it's that's worth checking. That's check. why I don't sit on anything I build. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let somebody else test it out. <laughs> Life lesson number one right there from, uh, from Laura Duncan. If you build something that you're supposed to sit on, be careful in the testing process. <laughs> <laughs> So as I mentioned earlier, um, Laura is the head soccer coach uh, of University of New Haven women's soccer. Laura, tell us a little bit about your experience as an athlete, as a coach, um, kind of where you started in the in the coaching journey and, you know, some of the highlights along the way uh, to bring you to where you are today. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I've been really, really fortunate in this in this position, um, one in my soccer career itself and then in my coaching career. Um, believe it or not, I actually started coaching from quite a young age. My dad used to run a, uh, a little soccer academy for the little kids back when I was living at home. And I probably started helping him out when I was 13, 14 years old, which was quite young to get into coaching. But, you know, he would give me the three and four year olds. And at that stage, you know, they were a joy and it was fun. And you really didn't have to work too hard. And I'm sure he chucked me a couple of quid at the end of the Saturday afternoon, so I had some pocket money out of it, uh, but never really thought that's what I wanted to get into. I think I just done it to earn a little bit of pocket money on the side. To be honest with you, I guess at that age, everyone just thinks they're going to play until they, you know, until they're forty years old and not be coaching at this age. But um, 
you know, I, I went obviously down the playing route first, um, played for as long as my body would physically let me play. And I was really, really fortunate that walking straight out of college, I walked into a full-time head coaching, uh, full-time assistant position at Fairfield University. Um, I actually got the position before I'd even graduated from Central Connecticut, which was where I played. Um, so I went part-time for a couple of months until I had officially graduated. And then come May, I was, you know, I was a full-time Division I assistant right out of college. Um, spent five years at Fairfield. Um, and during that, the end of those five years, the head job position at New Haven opened up. And again, very fortunate that, you know, I made it through the interview process and, and I was hired. And I've just finished my 10th season there. You mentioned early on it was uh, in. I think a lot of people that get into coaching do that, you know, the, whether it's a summer camp gig on the side or whatever it might be, just as a quick summer summer gig. That wasn't the moment in your mind where you're like, oh, I, I want to go on and do this. Was there a moment either as a high school or college athlete where you thought the profession of coaching was truly for you and that was something that you really wanted to chase down? Yeah, it was more when I got into the college game. Um, so when I, when I came out here as a freshman to play, obviously I, I came to America to play soccer, but I got injured the first day of preseason my freshman year. Um, the first, third session of the day, I had survived the fitness testing, I had survived the agility testing, and in the evening all we had to do was scrimmage, and I, and I blew out my knee. Um, I blew it out pretty badly, more than just a typical ACL tear. So unfortunately, I was actually out for two years. I'd had a... Uh, five, six surgeries on my left knee. Um, and in, in honesty, for the first two years, they didn't think I was going to be able to come back and play again. So um, that kind of sort of spurred me into the coaching side of things because I realistically became a student volunteer coach. You know, I couldn't play. I, I couldn't participate in anything like that. Um, but obviously wanted to stay involved in every way I could. And um, my college coach, Mick Darcy, who I play for, done a tremendous job of just keeping me engaged as a, you know, a 20 year old freshman. And that's kind of what spurred it. You know, I would help him with uh, practice, watching film, organizing, you know, different, different activities for the players to be a part of. And that's really where I think it started to fall into the back of my mind that, you know, maybe when this playing gig's over, I could, I could go down the coaching route. That's, and I mean, can't ask for better experience than as a 18, 19 year old to sit in on a, a college program and be part of that side of it um, to, to draw back on as you get into the, your actual professional coaching career or your coaching career as a profession. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think that's why I've managed to get a little bit ahead of it as I did. Um, the traditional route for most players that want to transition from playing to coaching is after they graduate, they may go be a graduate assistant somewhere for a couple of years and, you know, really be that third or fourth person on staff and learn the ropes. But I basically done though, I done three years of that as a player. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why I was able to walk into Fairfield university right out of, out of college as a full-time assistant, because I'd kind of skipped, you know, I skipped a couple of levels of it or, or had the opportunity to do some of those earlier than I should have. Exactly. Um, matriculated, <laughs> matriculated a little earlier than, yeah. than most. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you moved over to the, to the States as a, as a college freshman. What, um, 
what was the biggest challenge for you uh, um, coming coming over here uh, for the first time at, at, to live here full time and to be an, a college athlete? Uh, how was that for you? Um, what were the the things that you were excited about? The things that you were maybe a little bit nervous or scared about? And how how'd you deal with that transition? That's a big big jump. Yeah, um, you know, I was very very excited. I had had a little bit of an opportunity to move away from home prior to that. I lived in Sweden for a year to play professionally out there um, when I was 16, 17. So that obviously helped a little bit of the transition and moving away from home. Um, and then actually returning from Sweden, I went to a two-year boarding school in the north of England, which was about seven, eight hours away from where I lived. Um, so I'd been away from home for quite a while by now. So I, I wasn't really worried about the move. Um, I knew I could handle living away from home. I think the biggest part of the move was now I'm moving to a, a new country to play soccer where mom and dad wasn't also going to be yeah. there too. Um, so that was probably the hardest adjustment, even though I was very excited to do it. Um, the transition was made easy for me. I came out with some of my best friends. Um, there was actually three of us from the same team in England that all came out together, plus five, five guys on the men's program at Central. So that definitely helped that I didn't do it alone. Uh, I had those guys by my side the whole time so that we were really excited to make that move together. Um, but, you know, it was still different. Firstly, the heat. <laughs> that was the biggest thing, walking into Connecticut in the middle of August um, and trying to play soccer in that heat was, was a big, big adjustment. Um, but, you know, it was a little bit better than playing in the rain every day. <laughs> used to. Um, and then, you know, obviously just the aspects of the game is, is definitely different. Um, you know, I think they've caught up to each other 20 years later, but back in the day, I think the, the technical game in England was stronger, but the, the physical and the fitness side of the game in America was stronger out here too. So okay. trying to merge the two of those together was definitely a transition period. That's great. And, and you mentioned your parents and I've had the pleasure of playing pool against you and your dad before. And another one of Laura's, uh, talents off of the soccer field is uh, her game on the felt the felt table uh i wouldn't go as far as calling her and her father a couple of hustlers but it's like a step below that so look out anytime you're in that environment with them well, well. Um, <laughs> um obviously we touched on this earlier we were supposed to be together on uh, uh, uh for a team building event and the, obviously with the situation the the covid 19 the quarantine the college campuses shutting down, public schools shutting down, um, you know, businesses shutting down has, has had an impact on everybody. Um, what's been the biggest adjustment for you? Like normally in April, you're doing what? And what are you, what are you doing right now to try to, you know, keep up with everything, but knowing that you can't see your athletes, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, first off, that is the hardest thing, is that we are not physically with, with these athletes every day. Um, there's a lot of this job that can obviously be done from behind a computer screen. Um, most of our job, you know, really is remote, um, but it's the actual physical contact with these kids every day that we, we are truly missing right now. Um, this week actually would have started the um, spring segment where we could have trained and play games. So we were actually scheduled to open up this Saturday um, in our first spring contest. So, you know, that's, you know, when, like you said, it's sort of hitting home a little bit that the stuff we were really supposed to start getting going with, we just, we just can't do. 
um, you know, we're trying to be creative and find any way we can right now to, to have some contact with these kids, to keep them engaged. Um, we actually had our first team workout today over Zoom. Um, so that was, that was interesting to see, you know, kids were putting themselves in basements and driveways and living rooms and there was dogs running around and, um, you know, younger sisters joining, joining the, uh, the, the workout party this morning, but it was, it was also a lot of fun, very different, but great to have all their faces up on the screen together and, and enjoy a different type of interaction with them. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we, when you're in, when you're in leadership, regardless of, uh, the field, there's going to be something that doesn't go your way. And at, we always have the choice as a human being. Do we kind of let that, those, those circumstances, you know, completely dictate what we do and how we perform or do we adjust and adapt? And, um, everybody is having, everybody's in the middle of having a great opportunity to see what they're made of. Can they, can they adjust and adapt to, the tough situation. And that includes college athletes, coaches, professional athletes, coaches, teachers, students, et cetera. So it's great to hear that. Um, not only are you adjusting and adapting, but there's elements of fun involved at a time like this. I think ha ha the ability to share laughs together, even though you might be in different States than you're seeing each other on a computer, um, I think carries a little bit more weight than it normally does during this yeah, tough time. It does. And in a, in a weird way, it's actually, kind of exciting and 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 different to get to know these kids in a different aspect um you know we're used to a similar sort of conversation with them daily and it's usually to do with their performance and their academics and and you have those conversations with them and you move on and and now i'm actually really getting to know these players in a little bit of a different environment um you know, they, like you said, I was, we've sat on Zoom calls and mom and their mom and dads have waved in the background to us and the puppy dogs have ran by and I had an academic meeting with a kid the other day and a younger sister sat on her lap and I got to <laughs> have a conversation with her, you know, so it's, um, you know, you've got to find, everyone's world has been turned upside down right now, but no matter what, you've got to find the positives that we can take from it. Um, the reality is it's not just happening to us, so there's no point yep. UNH women's soccer to sit back and sulk um it's happening to everybody right now so we've got to embrace the the best we can get out of it right now and that's really spending a different type of time with these kids um you know we physically can't work them out but we can really get to get to know them right now in their own environment which I think is important because at the end of the day that's probably going to lead to more success down the road than if I was actually on the field with them every day right now yeah, great point. Um, I think the deeper the deeper and different relationships you're able to develop right now when it comes time, you know, God willing, in, in August or whenever your preseason is supposed to start, when it's time for everybody to get back together, there's a different connection that you'll have and that they'll have that wasn't there three or four weeks ago. And, um, you know, any, any great leader knows when times get tough, the 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 better a group of people, it, uh, the better they are at, at, at sticking together, the more likely they are to work through that, that challenging moment. So um, your attitude about this, this change is, is great. And I absolutely think it'll serve you and the team well down the road. Yeah, I really hope so. I mean, you know, I'll be honest with you, the first week we were away from campus and I had to make my first Zoom call with a kid like this face to face. 
I had never done it before and, and <laughs> I'm older than them and you think you're more experienced, but I was still sitting here thinking, oh my God, how is this going to go? Like, I'm checking my background. I'm thinking about if I'm fidgeting, should, you know, how do I actually conduct this sort of call with them? And, you know, we've done multiple ones of them now with the kids more than once. And now, now we're actually just enjoying it. I mean, I honestly could sit here every day with these kids and have a quick five, 10 minute conversation with them. Um, like you said, I've, I've, I've seen, you know, pictures of how they decorate their rooms now and, and, you know, the chore charts on the fridge that mum's making them do since they've been home. And it's, 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 it's something about it I'm actually really enjoying more than I ever thought I could. And, I, and that's the way I look at it. What you said is I just keep thinking to myself that come August, this can only make us stronger. Yep, 100%. Um, so those are some of the big differences, obviously, uh, you know, comparing what you would have been doing, I guess, this time last year versus now. Um, the, the change in routine, what have been – have you been able to do some things for your own personal development or personal life um, now that you're, I guess you're not tied into soccer – you know, 20 hours a day or whatever it might be. What are some of those things you've been able to kind of pick up with uh, during this downtime? Yeah, I mean, for me, a lot of it's been the personal development side of it right now that I've actually got to spend a bit more time on myself versus, um, you know, I wouldn't say the team, but obviously, yeah. like you said, when we're at work, we forget to take care of ourselves once in a while. Um, you know, there's a, you know, there's a lot of this type of stuff going on right now. I'm a member of a couple of different groups. One is a, a female coaches group called We Coach that our school actually provided to us recently, the membership for it. Um, and every other day they're doing something similar. They're doing blogs, they're doing speak, you know, talks by different groups. Um, so I've had an opportunity to jump on webinars every other day and just listen to other people talk and learn from people that I don't always give myself the time to do. Um, we have a pretty neat group right now that we call like the uh, the Connecticut Breakfast Coaches Group. It's a bunch of coaches in Connecticut, uh, soccer coaches across Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, and club. Um, and we we try to get together once a month physically for breakfast. Um, and obviously that's that's come to an end right now. But we did actually have our first virtual breakfast um, at the beginning of the week. And again, just sitting with some older, experienced coaches that. They might be older and more experienced, but they haven't gone through this either. So it's, I've really enjoyed the professional development part of it right now um, to be able to just sit and talk to people and, and get new ideas and find out ways people are handling this. And um, not even just this situation, just in life, like how else do they coach their team? What other activities do they do? How do they conduct their warmups? I mean, we've got... Like you said, we've got a lot of time on our hands right now. So there's a lot more webinars and blogging going on. Um, so I'm really, you know, taking advantage of that opportunity to, to um, better develop myself right now, where I, I think at times I get, I leave myself behind. Yep. Um, great, great point too. And there's, there's no playbook to deal with something like this. Um, like a, there's no step-by-step -step manual to help people through that. So that attitude of, Let's pull something positive from this, whether it's the relationships with our athletes or my own development as a coach or just new connections that maybe I wouldn't have nor you know, normally have time to, to develop. You know, so if you are looking for a playbook to how to handle this out of nowhere, life altering change, it, you know, sum it up simply. It's about, it's about the attitude that, you know, an, an individual has. And like we talked about earlier, you can either let it dictate or, you can make the most out of a situation. So it's great to hear that you're going 
going that route, I would expect nothing less. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> um, so you've been the coaching at the college level formally uh, for 15 years. Um, tell us a little bit about this current group of athletes that you lead. Um, what are some of their their strengths? What are some of the things that they struggle with? Um, just a little bit of info about the, the, the college athlete at the University of New Haven women's soccer program. Yeah, I mean, like you said, 10 years into it right now, and I've had a lot of different athletes come through the program. Um, but I think one underlining sort of factor we really want from these kids, um, and I use this line in my recruiting speeches all the time, is they need to love their job. Um, it is a commitment. There's a lot of kids out there that want to play college soccer, um, but they don't always necessarily understand what it means, what that commitment level means, um, and what they have to sacrifice from their own personal lives to be able to play college soccer. So underlining all the time at New Haven is you need to love your job. So we have a lot of athletes in this program that have come and gone that um, some are better than others, some are fitter than others, some are stronger than others. But I think the one thing that connects them all is their just pure love and passion to be playing for the University of New Haven. Because um, to me, that's important. You know, if once the, the moment they stop loving this and they stop loving their job, they're never going to succeed at it. And then as a group, we're never going to succeed too. So we try to harp on that a lot. Um, you know, we're, we're a program in, in 10 years at around 500. So, you know, we're not the best program out there, but we're not the worst. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important for us that we, you know, we bring kids in that play for this program that love the University of New Haven and love the sport of soccer. So that's, that's a lot of what we try to, to, to bring in those type of athletes. Um, right now, we have a group of kids that uh, returned from a full season that was better. 2018 season was one of the worst we had ever gone through as a program as far as wins and losses go. Um, so this group right now in 2019 bounced back and, and won a lot more games than we did the year yeah. before. So we obviously have a very resilient group. But again, I think that resilience comes from, from the passion of wanting to be there. They didn't give up. I mean, it's real easy to give up when you're losing. Very, very easy to give up when you're losing. Um, and I, I even go back to that 2018 squad that, you know, on paper had one of the, the worst records, but they're probably one of the best groups I've ever actually coached because after every game, there was still a smile on their face and the senior leadership in particular did not ever give up. And out of every class, you know, it's the hardest for the seniors because that's their last. Yep. And the fact that they, you know, continue to show up every day with a smile on their face and put their best foot forward and give their best effort they can. It just shows that the program's bigger than any wins and losses you're ever going to get. It's the people that are in it. That's most important. Absolutely. And, and two great points that you brought up there. One, um, when it's, it's easy to lead and it's easy to be positive and it's easy to be energetic and excited and it's easy to love your job when you're winning. Um, the tremendous leaders find a way to do those things when it's not going well. And, um, you know, those, those seniors from the 2018 season probably, you know, they may or may not stay engaged with the program, but the, the work that they did as, as young leaders during a, a down win loss year is probably paying some dividends now for the 20, definitely for the 2019 team and, and, and moving forward because 
they had an impact on the program, but they just didn't have an impact on that one unit that one year. And that's tremendous to hear. It's a testament to their ability to lead and, and your ability to lead and your staff's ability to lead. Uh, the other point, and if there's any high school athletes listening, talent is important in sport. Uh, how, you know, how fast you can run and your skill set in a given sport, yeah, very important. You just heard from a college coach that one of the most important concepts is, is, is the desire and the commitment to love what you're going to be doing, to love your job. So any of you high school athletes or coaches listening out there, to get to the next level, you can't just rely on talent. It's a much bigger than that. And you heard that from a, a college coach right here. Um, great points, Laura. If you had to describe your, your personal leadership style, are you a rah-rah? Are you quiet? T tell us a little bit about how you approach leading, you know, how you're going to approach leading this team come, you know, fall of 2020 when that season gets rolling on. <laughs> well, right now we are, we're in a situation where, um, you know, we, our roster numbers have been increased and we could be having close to a 50-50 uh, split of returners and, and new players coming in. So right now, my word is patience. <laughs> um, I'm going to have a lot of young kids on the team, and I know I'm going to have to have a lot of patience, um, you know, handling this group. But no, I mean, I think overall my, my leadership style hasn't really changed much over the last 10 years. Um, I've always said that, you know, I'm definitely – I'm a combination, obviously, I think every leader is a combination of a lot of different characteristics, but um, I've never been a screamer and shouter from that standpoint. I've never really been too authoritarian. I, I like to understand why kids are making the decisions they're making to then try to be able to correct them. Um, you know, again, in my recruiting speeches, one of the one of the lines I always try to give them, and the reason I don't scream and shout from the sidelines and, and get at the kids as much is because you know, a lot of athletes out there do shut down when they get shouted at and it doesn't necessarily solve the mistakes they're making. I need to understand why they're making the decision they're making so that I can correct it. So, you know, for an example, if I've got a center midfielder that every time she gets the ball, she lifts her head up and she just pings it down the field and loses possession. If I shout at her, it doesn't necessarily mean she's going to stop doing it. She's probably not going to want the ball anymore. So that's not going to help us either. So we try to learn, okay, why are you making that decision? What are you seeing? Why do you think that's the ball you need to make? Um, and then we try to correct that. So I'm more of a, just a talker coach. I don't really know if there's a word out there for it, but I tend to ask questions and then try to get an answer and then try to recorrect the answer. Um, you know, I have my moments as every coach. I mean, there's always a time that you need to raise your voice and, and, and deepen the tone of your voice a little bit um, to, to get them motivated. I mean, they are still athletes and a lot of athletes definitely get motivated, you know, when they get, they get a little bit of a louder voice coming at them. But um, I don't, I don't like to spend my day screaming and shouting every day. So it's definitely not my style. Um, and I think, you know, I've never really played for coaches that are like that too. So that's probably where I've got some of my style from. I mean, I had to have got it from somewhere. And I think a lot of it's, from my own influences of the people I, I've put myself around and they're not screamers and shouters. Um, you know, so, you know, I wouldn't say I'm easy, but I, I do think, again, I, my job is to coach. So if I don't understand what mistakes are being made, then I don't believe I can coach. Yep. A big part of coaching is, you know, is, is te the teaching and the development of athletes and, 
you know, there might be a small pocket of athletes that learn and, and develop their skills through yelling. Um, I, but I think the majority, your approach of let's figure out why together and let's figure out how we can improve it together. Um, and it really fosters, I think, that, that team mentality that I have your back, you have our team's back uh, mentality, which is, I think, a little bit more productive in the long haul. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, like I said, the game, the game of soccer too, right? We need the kids to, have, to want to have the ball at their feet. So if they're scared to have it because they're going to make a mistake and they're going to get screamed at, they're not going to want that ball anymore. So, yep. you know, I definitely try to refrain from that. Like I said, there's moments, without a doubt, every coach does it and every coach will do it where – you know, we make that decision that maybe screaming at them is a little bit better than asking the, the why question. Um, but again, we, we do try to pick and choose those moments for the most part. Absolutely. What's uh, your biggest strength as a leader or as a coach? Um, you know, I, I, I want to say part of it is I think I'm fair. Um, I, I would like to think that I'm fair. Um, obviously, we have tough decisions to make as far as who starts, who doesn't, who gets in. But um, I think fair and honesty is some of my strengths. Um, I have an open door policy. If I don't play you, come in and ask me why, and I'll tell you why. Um, again, not always an easy thing for an athlete to do because a lot of the times they don't necessarily want to hear that answer. But I never want a kid to not have the ability or be able to feel like they could come in and ask that question. So I always try to be as honest in everything that I do and, and try to be as fair with everything I do also. Great answer. And on the contrast, uh, your biggest weakness or challenge as a, as a coach, as a leader? Ah, sometimes it can be the same thing, right? That, you know, that um, sometimes, you know, I've done a lot of those disc assessments and the strengths, personality assessments, and a lot of the stuff that comes back is, you know, I'm too kind. Um, which is a weird thing to think that that's a weakness because you'd hope that everyone has a level of kindness in, the, yep. in their heart. But in coaching, you have to make some tough decisions and you have to make, you can't please everybody. Um, and I, I definitely struggle with that part. Like I, as much as I say, I have an open door policy. I, I don't enjoy it when a kid has to come in and ask why they don't play um, because I know they want to play and they're not going to hear the answer that they want. Um, so, you know, sometimes I think I may struggle to be as direct as I need to be or try to beat around the bush a little bit um, <laughs> because, you know, I never want anyone to, I guess, feel disappointed. So at times, you know, we've joked even amongst my peers and my coaching, you know, the people I work alongside in New Haven, like I am the, the nice coach, you know. And again, like you said, it, it's weird to think that that's a weakness, but in the coaching world, it, it definitely can be a weakness. So there's times I have to you know, get my, stick my chest out and lift my, lift my chin up a little bit and go have some stern words with kids that I, I don't enjoy doing, but it's something I'm constantly working on as well, sometimes to be a little bit tougher. <laughs> That's your own, your own personal leadership challenge right there. It's always good to have those for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that concludes part one of our conversation with Laura Duncan the head coach of women's soccer at the University of New Haven. Check back in on Thursday morning, 10 a.m., for part two of Laura Duncan, Leads with Empower. Thank you so much to our listeners. We appreciate you tuning in. And always remember, great leadership looks, sounds, and feels different. However, there is a common thread that connects all tremendous leaders. They are passionate about those that they lead 
and they spend most of their time in their stretch zone. Not settling for that which is comfortable, because nothing exceptional was ever accomplished from comfort. Thank you.